All right, today we'll be getting the big picture of the book of John, Gospel according to John. I want to start by telling you a, uh, a story from a, uh, a famous radio talk show host in the United States by the name of Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey used to always say, here's the rest of the story. He, talk, he talks about a cold winter night in which a farmer had this, this thumping sound against his kitchen door. And so he went to the window, he watched as a tiny shivering sparrow beat in vain against the glass door. They were doing this, these sparrows, because they were attracted to the warmth inside. The farmer bundled up, he walked through the fresh snow to, the, to open the barn for the struggling birds. He turned on the lights, tossed some hay in a corner, and sprinkled a trail of crackers to direct them to the barn. But the sparrows hid in the darkness because they were afraid of the farmer. The farmer tried various tactics, such as circling behind the birds to drive them toward the barn. He tossed some crumbs in the air toward them. Retreating to his house, he wanted to see if they would flutter into the barn on their own. But nothing worked. He had terrified them. The birds could not understand that he was actually trying to help them. And so he withdrew to his house, and he watched the doomed sparrows through a window. As he stared, a thought hit him. And here's what he thought. If only I could become a bird, then I would not frighten them, and I could show them the way to warmth and safety. At that same moment, another thought dawned on him. He had grasped the whole principle of Jesus' incarnation. He grasped the principle of Jesus' birth, of why he needed to become a man. Let's just think about this for a moment. A man becoming a bird is really nothing, although it's, it's not really possible for us, is it? But it's, it's really nothing compared to God becoming a man. The concept of a sovereign being who is bigger than our universe confining himself into one human body is really too much for some people to believe. In fact, you probably are aware there's many liberals and people who claim to be atheists, for example, who just cannot believe that can actually happen. They don't believe it did happen. In fact, there's much scholarship today, modern scholarship, that has, has, has even proposed, well, you know, Jesus, he, uh, some have even said, well, he's a mere human. Some believe that he did become a human, or he is a human, but they refuse to believe that he is God. Just merely a human. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And really, in order to find the correct answer of who Jesus was and who he is, we need to turn to a primary source. One of those primary sources is the gospel according to the Apostle John. I don't know what you know about the Apostle John, but you need to understand he was an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. He was a part of that inner circle. In fact, he describes himself in, in his book here as the one whom Jesus loved. Remember the inner circle? Peter, James, and John. John was there at the cross. John was there at the tomb. He went into the tomb. He saw the empty tomb. And he saw the risen Christ. And he wrote about it. 
So let's turn to this gospel according to the Apostle John. Here in John chapter 20, we're actually going to find out why John wrote this book. Why did John write this book? Well, like I said, he tells us toward the end of his book. He didn't tell us in the beginning, but he does toward the end. So let's look at two verses, which are probably the theme verses for the entire book. So turn in your Bibles there, if you haven't already. It's John chapter 20. Let's take a look at these, these verses. And these verses are going to tell us why John wrote the book. Let's start John 20, verse 30. John 20, verse 30, which says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these signs are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So what I want to do today with you is, is this. Let me explain ahead of time what's going on, and then we'll jump in, all right? We're going to take these two verses as kind of our theme for the entire book. We're going to use, in this particular study today, particularly verse 31, will act as our guide. So first thing we'll do is we're going to look at what John says we should believe. Notice he uses the word believe, which is a key word throughout the entire book. So we'll answer the question of, of, uh, well, what are we to believe? Number two, we're going to look at why we should believe. And then number three, we're going to look at what are the results of believing? What are the results of believing? So in doing this, uh, really what I want us to learn is more about Jesus. That's the point of the book. Let's learn about Jesus, okay? First question. What should we believe? What should we believe? Again, put your eyeballs on verse 31. Put your eyeballs on verse 31. Verse 31, what does it say? It says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You see that? Two phrases there that tell us what we are to believe. Tells us why John wrote the book. Number one, we're to believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Christ. Now, what does that mean, the Christ? Well, Christ is the Greek version of Hebrew. Hebrews in the Old Testament. The Hebrew Old Testament says that Jesus is Messiah. But in the New Testament, it's Greek. And so the equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah is the Greek Christ. So Christ means Messiah. And so what is John trying to do here? John is actually presenting Jesus Christ as the one who fulfills the promises of the Messiah in the Old Testament. So all those hundreds of promises about the coming Messiah, his first and his second coming, are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So, by the way, there's a lot of first coming promises that were fulfilled in Jesus. What does that tell you about all the second coming promises? It means you can believe all the second coming promises will also be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So be looking for him, my friends. All right, number two. Now, it's what we already saw in number one. You are to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the, the long-promised anointed one. All right, but number two, look at verse 31. It says, you are also to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Now that title gives Jesus a very unique status because there is nobody else like this. I want you to see how the book of John reveals this very unique status. For example, turn to chapter 1. Right from the very beginning, it gets into it thick and fast. Okay, So be ready to turn through Scripture. So This isn't my words. I'm not making this stuff up. We're just going to look at Scripture and let Scripture reveal itself to us, okay? All right, so chapter 1, verse 34. Chapter 1, verse 34. I want you to see what John the Baptist says. He is the one the Old Testament said would pave the way, make way uh, for the Messiah, for the Christ. So look at verse uh, 34. Verse 34. Which says, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Remember, John baptized Jesus. He was, he was pointing to Jesus. So he says that Jesus is the Son of God. Now look what Nathaniel, who becomes one of Jesus' disciples, what he says in verse 49. Look at verse 49. Uh, Nathaniel answered him. He says, Rabbi, or teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now look what Jesus said about himself in chapter 3. This is Jesus talking of himself. Chapter 3, probably one of the, probably the most famous verse in the book of John. Verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Notice that phrase, John 3.16 there. That God the Father gave His only Son. Some versions say His only begotten Son. The point is, He's totally unique in His status. There's no one else like Him. He is clearly unique. So, clearly Jesus perceived His Sonship as unique. He was the one and only Son. God the Father doesn't have any other sons. He has no other children. And so... He perceived himself as specially given. He's specially sent from God the Father to us. If you don't believe me, look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God sent his Son. There's a sending process going on here. So my friends, all right, my friends, listen closely. Do not misunderstand this sonship language that's used here in the Bible. Some people do. Uh, in fact, some have even used it to say that Jesus is created and Jesus is somehow not equal with God the Father. That is, that is heresy. That is heresy. One of the fundamentals of the faith is that Jesus is God. That's one of the points that John is, is trying to show us, that we would believe that Jesus is God. So don't misunderstand the sonship language. Jesus did not use this language to somehow mean that he is secondary uh, or that he is created by God the Father. He was never created. Okay, Do you, do you understand, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was not created. He existed before then, which is why, which is why they wanted to kill Jesus in this book when he said, I am. He said, I and the Father are one. We are equal. He makes all these I am statements. He's saying he's the self-existent one. 
the one who was even before Abraham. I was. <laughs> He's always been. He was pre-existent before then, okay? But he did become a man about 2,000 years ago, or he took on the human nature, if you will. So what does the sonship language mean? Well, it, it actually means the exact opposite of what some people take it to be. The son associated himself with the father here in his very nature. He's saying he's equal with the father. Jesus is saying he is of the same stuff as God the father. When he says he is the son of man, the son of God, that's what he means. Now consider Jesus' statement and and the people's response here in chapter 5. All right, so in case you're still not getting it, look at chapter 5. Verse 17, okay? we got an interesting statement from Jesus and an interesting response from the people. Have a look at this. Chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, because not only was He breaking the Sabbath... But he was even calling himself God, or he's calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You see that? They understood. The people of Jesus' day understood the claims that Jesus was making. Which is why, we've we've mentioned this before, which is why C.S. Lewis says, Jesus can't be a good person. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord, and you must bow down and worship. He cannot be a good person and make these kind of claims. He claimed to be God, which is why they wanted to kill him. Right? Now I want you to look what Jesus says about himself again here in chapter 14. Chapter 14. Hopefully you're familiar with this exchange with some of Jesus' disciples, like Thomas and Philip, for example. Look what Jesus claims about himself. This is what he says, chapter 14, verse 6. Chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, that's Thomas, if you look at verse 5, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip jumps in the conversation here. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and isn't enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Well, rhetorical question. What's the answer to Jesus' rhetorical question? The answer is when you see Jesus, you see God the Father, because Jesus is God. Well, another very famous book from the, verse of John, uh, from the book of John is the very first verse, which you see up on the screen here, which clearly shows that Jesus is God. Look at verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, here it's on the screen. It says, In the beginning was the Logos... Greek word, logos, word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
that clearly, from the very first verse in the Bible, or this book anyway, says that, that Jesus is gone. You say, well, it doesn't say Jesus. How do I know that's Jesus? All right? Good question. How do you know that's Jesus? Well, context is king. Context is king. Number one rule of hermeneutics. Look at the context. You read down farther, you will come to a verse that clearly shows this is Jesus, and it's verse 14. Verse 14 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who else did that except Jesus? No one else did that. That's, that's clearly Jesus. And he did that about 2,000 years ago, which is why we celebrate Christmas. So what did Jesus come to do? What did he come to do? Well, number one, well, we've already seen this a little bit already, is that Jesus came to expose misunderstanding and disobedience. How did he do that? Well, one of the ways he did, he did that, and he does it at least three times in the book of John, is he acted contrary to what his religious uh, peers, if you will, required for Sabbath observance. Remember, they, they had this, this Sabbath that started Friday night and then went to Saturday night. And, and for many Jews, that, that was kind of the, 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 the central part of their identity. And Jesus had the audacity, as far as they were concerned, to attack the Sabbath. <laughs> in fact, look at an example in chapter 5. No, not, sorry, not chapter 5, chapter 8. Uh, no, I had it right the first time. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 8. Chapter 5, verse 8. All right, and so I want you to see what Jesus said to an invalid. Okay, this is Jesus speaking to an invalid. Look at this, this wonderful conversation he has in verse 8. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They answered him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Right, do you see that? So, as far as they're concerned, Jesus is you know, attempting to destroy their identity and their system. How dare he do that? Well, Jesus came to expose misunderstanding and disobedience. Now, there was a lot of misunderstanding, and uh, frankly, their, their system had missed the whole point. Number two, Jesus came to provide a sacrifice for the salvation of sinners. He came to provide a sacrifice for the salvation of sinners. So in, in other words, what I'm saying is this, Jesus came to save sinners. That's you, that's me, that's everybody. The Bible clearly says everyone is a sinner. You were born into sin. So look, uh, here, here's an example on the screen. Uh, chapter 12 says this 
This is Jesus speaking, and he says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. How did he do that? Well, look what Jesus says in chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, and you'll see how Jesus accomplished that. Chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him, that's Jesus, should not perish, but have eternal life. So my friends, how does God's provision in Christ actually save sinful humanity? according to these verses. How does that happen? Well, John the Baptist actually points uh, toward the answer when he says in chapter 1, John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, my friends, Jesus, you need to understand, is the Passover Lamb, which the Jews started sacrificing, remember at Passover, when they were in Egypt? Remember, they were to put the blood on the doorpost, kill the lamb, eat the lamb. And they had been doing this for years and years and years. By the way, when Jesus walked through the streets of Jerusalem, that's what they were doing. When Jesus, the Passover lamb, was going to the cross, the Jews were sacrificing lambs. He was the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And he did that through his death and his resurrection. He was killed as a a substitute for sinful human beings. He took our place. So Jesus came to provide a sacrifice for the salvation of sinners. Number three, why did Jesus come? What did he come to do? Well, he came to uh, uh, be glorified by God the Father. He also came to glorify the Father as well, but look at chapter 1. Chapter 1. All right, put your eyeballs in Scripture. These aren't my words, these are God's words, okay? Chapter 1, verse 14. says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus came to be glorified by God the Father. By the way, when He comes the second time, it's going to be even greater glory revealed to us. So what are we to believe? John's calling us to believe, but what are we to believe? We are to believe, number one, that Jesus is the Christ. Remember, that means He's the Messiah. He's the one who fulfills all the Old Testament promises. But it also says we are to believe that He is the unique Son of God. That means Jesus is a part of the Trinity. You remember, Trinity means there's one God in three persons, right? One God in three persons. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity. And so John's calling us to believe this glorious truth. Well, my next question for you is this. Why should we believe? Why should we believe? Well, John tells us again in verse chapter 20, verse 31. Look at, look at this. He says, these are written so that you may believe. Go to that. Thank you. 
These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now, I purposely underlined the word these. That's a pronoun. Okay? Uh, What is that pronoun? Pronouns point to nouns. Pronouns modify nouns. What's the noun? What, What is the these, if you will? What is that referring to? Well, it actually refers to the miraculous signs that are mentioned in verse 30. Verse 30 talks about these miraculous signs that John wrote about to prove to us, to show us that Jesus is God. And so really, to quickly answer a question, we should believe because of these miraculous signs that John has written about, which are actually testifying to the truth. Now, John doesn't write about everything that Jesus did. In fact, the Bible says that that there's no way this book could hold everything that Jesus said and did. That's impossible. But John does give us seven signs. And if you've never marked them in your Bible, I highly recommend you do so. I'm just going to quickly throw them on the screen here for you so you'll know the seven signs, these seven miraculous miracles that Jesus does. All right, what are the signs? There's only seven. John takes the first 11 chapters to talk about these, amongst other things. So number one, the first sign comes in chapter 2. The very first miracle that John talks about is where Jesus changed water into wine. Remember, that was at the wedding feast in Cana. Number two, Jesus healed the royal official son. That's chapter 4. Chapter 5, Jesus healed an invalid. By the way, that person was an invalid for 38 years. Could not walk. Jesus healed him. Instantly healed, by the way. And then number four, Jesus fed approximately 20,000 people, and he did it with only five pieces of bread, five little pieces of bread, and two fish. It was a boy's lunch. (laughs) A boy's lunch, and Jesus multiplies that to about 20,000 people. Because you remember, the Bible says about 5,000 men plus the the women and children. All right, number five, the fifth sign you'll find in chapter 6, Jesus walks on water. Then chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man. And then the one that everyone loves is in chapter 11, where Jesus healed his friend Lazarus. He didn't just heal him, by the way. The Bible says that Lazarus was dead. He'd been buried. He'd been wrapped up. In fact, by this time, he's stinking. He's decaying. This guy is far dead. He's been dead for several days. And Jesus purposely delays so, and, and, and if you read chapter 11, it says, so that everyone would believe. Of course, not everyone did. And so Jesus brings this dead man, his friend Lazarus, back to life. He walks out of the tomb. That would have been awesome to see, wouldn't it? So anyway, those, those are the seven signs that John is talking about here in John 20, verse 31. So let me ask you another question. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? That's not meant to be a trick question, but it can be. Because remember, the Bible says that the demons believe and tremble. The demons believe and tremble, but you'll never see them in heaven. They're not redeemed. The demons are not redeemed. Satan is not redeemed. He's never been uh, bought back from the slave market of sin like I have. So what does it mean to believe? Well, let's, let's... Look at this word and how it's used a few times in the book of John. 
Well, you need to understand something. In Jesus' day here, we, we have the people who asked Jesus what they must do to please God. Good question. What do we need to do to please God? Now, I want you to look at the answer. Look at uh, chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 28. Chapter 6, verse 28. Verse 28 says this, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, how can we please God? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You might ask at this point, Well, how does someone believe? How can I actually do that so I can please God? Well, part of the answer is found in John chapter 1, which is on the screen here. Here's what it says in John 1 verse 12. To all who did receive him, keyword receive, matches up with the word believe. See that? To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, if you, if you look there, the, the Bible is its own best commentary and interpreter, and it's actually helping us to see that believing is a kind of receiving. And believing is a kind of receiving. And, the, and by the way, this receiving is, notice, it's, it's actually worked out in our hearts, and who's doing the work? Not you. God does the work in you. You cannot believe without God's enabling you to believe. So, receiving is, is kind of similar to believing here. It's a bit like, let's say I walked up to you and I said, I said to my daughter, I said, uh, okay, now, now you're about ready to drive and I've bought you a car. It's not a brand new car, it's a used car, but here, I bought you a car and, and it's yours and you can have it. You just have to come and receive this gift. Here is the key to your car. Come and get it. How do you think she's going to respond? How do you think my daughter would respond? Now, if she actually believes what I'm saying, and I'm I'm not pulling her leg and teasing her and doing some bad practical joke, what's she going to do? She's going to come and take it. She's going to receive the gift. A gift, by the way, you don't pay for it, right? Otherwise, it's not a gift. So she's going to come and take it. She's going to receive it. And she's only going to do that if she believes that I'm not teasing her. <laughs> this is for real, and she's going to come and get it. And that's what God does. He gives us the greatest gift of all, which is his son. And he says, believe it, receive it, take my son. He is the greatest gift I will ever give you. All right, I hope that helps. All right, but then, and then in chapter 4, we see people believing in Jesus, and, and how are they doing that here? Well, if you look at chapter 4, verse 39, we're, we're actually going to find that they receive Jesus and his words. It specifically says not just Jesus' person, but his words. And look what happened after Jesus talked to the, to the Samaritan woman at the well here. Jesus purposely goes through Samaria, which the Jews hated the Samaritans. He has this divine appointment that he kept with this Samaritan woman at the well. Look, look at these words, chapter 4, verse 39. Chapter 4, verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. 
And here's what she says. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They believed Jesus and his words. So believing includes Jesus' person as well as his words. Now, we don't have Jesus' person here with us today. Well, not physically, anyway. We have the Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is here. He's everywhere and resides within all believers. But the the, the physical body of Jesus is not here. So how are we to believe? Well, we have his words, and you can believe those words we have in Scripture here. So, believing includes Jesus' person as well as his word. So, my friend, my friend, listen closely. You cannot believe just any Jesus that you or someone else makes up in their mind. That's called idolatry. Idolatry is when people form a a God of their own liking. Instead of the the way God has revealed himself. That's why, you know, in the... The Ten Commandments, Jesus says, You are not to make any graven image of me, because there is nothing in heaven or on earth that is like me. That's what God says. God says, I'm the only God. I'm the only one worthy of worship. So don't try to form something in your mind or actual in in physical shape to try to represent me, because you can't do it. We have a lot of people trying to do that in their minds. The idolatry is going on in their minds. And, they'll, and they say, well, hey, you know, I believe Jesus is just a mere human being, or he's a good teacher, or I don't believe Jesus is God, or, you know, so forth, right? There's all kinds of bad, false teaching out there. And so in the process, they're, they're actually worshiping a false god. They've made their own god, which is not the one true god. So you can't believe just any Jesus you make up in your mind. You actually have to believe the Jesus that God sent to us. The one that's revealed in Scripture. Look at chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 25. Chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to Martha, Jesus said to Martha, this is after, uh, you know, this whole, this is this scene with, Jesus coming to raise Lazarus from the grave. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? So to believe is to rely completely on Jesus' person, Uh, Believe means you're trusting totally what Jesus actually teaches about himself. Everything that he teaches about himself, by the way, you can't pick and choose. Otherwise, that's idolatry again. Okay, You don't want to do what Thomas Jefferson did, the third president of the United States. He used to go and cut verses out of his Bible because he didn't like, there was a lot of verses he didn't like. That's idolatry. You're forming your own God. So you've you got to rely on, 
completely on the person of Jesus Christ. You're trusting totally what he teaches about himself. So true believers see Jesus for who he is, and they actually rely on him. They're totally relying on him. Okay, another question. What are the results of believing? What are the results of believing? Again, look at verse 31 here on the screen. It says, these are written, these these miraculous signs were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. What will believers in Jesus Christ be given, according to that verse? What does it say? Believers will be given life. And this isn't just any life, is it? This this is a special life, which John goes on to elaborate in other verses. So let's look at a several stages that are involved in this process. And like like with all good news, there's no good news without the bad news. So let me quickly give you the bad news so we can end on some good news. Because you ever had someone come to you and say, all right, I have bad news and I have good news for you. Which one do you want first? What do we usually say? I don't know. If you're like me, uh, I usually say, give me the bad news first, right? That's what I usually say. So I'm going to give you the bad news first because there is no good news without the bad news, all right? So, number one, in our natural selves, we stand condemned. Jesus says that, all right? You were born condemned because you're born in a sinful state. And the Bible says in uh, chapter 3, verse 18, that we're actually spiritually dead. You're born spiritually dead. In fact, you, we've, I think we already read that, didn't we? Oh, let's read it again. Chapter 3, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. Here's what Jesus says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So, my friends, do you realize when you were born as a baby, as an infant, in fact, according to what David says in the Psalms, you're actually in your mother's womb, you are a sinner. You're spiritually dead. David said it. In in sin did my mother conceive me. Yes, that is your spiritual state. You're spiritually dead. You stand condemned before a holy God. Bad news. Something needs to change. Okay, if you continue on that path, then you spend eternity in hell. So, there's good news, though. That's the bad news. Let's look at some good news. Number one, the good news is we can change because God can save us. We can be saved. The Bible says Jesus came to save the condemned. He came to save the condemned. Look at verse 17. Put your eyeballs on verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. My friends, listen. You're born condemned. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. You're already in that state. Jesus came to save you. So you can be saved. It's ironic when you think about this, that we can be saved because Jesus did not save himself from God's wrath. You you realize that? You need to be saved from God. You need to be saved from the one whom you need to run to. So what Jesus did, instead of trying to save himself, what he did is he actually absorbed God's wrath. That's what propitiation means. When you read 1 John 2, Jesus is our propitiation. He absorbs God's wrath. Everything you deserve, Jesus jumps in front of 
God's wrath, He takes it so you don't get it. If you don't believe me, look at verse 36. Look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So my friend, you've been given a choice. You've been given a choice. You can either let Jesus absorb God's judgment on your behalf, or you can choose to receive God's judgment. Which one do you want, my friends? Do do you want to receive God's judgment? Then, Then do nothing. Don't believe in Jesus, and you'll get God's judgment. But my friends, if you don't want God's judgment, you need to do something. You need to change, and God can change you. He can change you. So, I, I urge you, don't try to absorb God's wrath on your own, because that is, that is not where you want to be. Anyway, number two, not only can we be saved, number two, we can have life. This is good news. We can have life. Being saved from wrath means being saved to life. So you can put off that ugliness and put on something that's beautiful in its place. All right, let's just look at a few quick verses here, all right? Uh, John 6, verse 33, it's on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. He says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Another wonderful passage. When Lazarus died, Jesus found Martha mourning. And here's what he said to Martha in verse, or chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. So we can have life. And number three, we can have not just any kind of life. The life Jesus is talking about here is eternal life. And how is that even possible? Well, Jesus, look what Jesus promises in uh, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him, in Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. Look at verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son, that's Jesus, has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Well, what does eternal life look like, you might ask? It's, by the way, it's more than just going on forever and ever. Okay, it's, it's far better than just that. Because if you go on and on and on forever in a bad state, that's not bliss. Okay? So, so not only does Jesus, you know, tell us, hey, all of eternity, forever and ever, he changes the state so that we, we want to be there and we'll enjoy it. All right? Well, anyway, Jesus defines this eternal life a little bit for us in his prayer to God the Father, John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, 
that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, my friends, eternal life is knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ intimately, personally. Number four, we can have full life. Not just life, not just eternal life, but the Bible says you can have a full life. And Jesus' own life, according to the first chapter, verse 14, says that he was full of grace and truth. And Jesus came to give those who believe that same fullness of life. And again, here in John 17, verse 13, here's what Jesus said. Now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It's possible, my friends, to have that joy in you as well. And the last one, the last one, we can have a life of love. We can have a life of love. Now, you and I have received grace and truth, because that's who Jesus is, part of Him anyway. And so since we've been recipients of this boundless love, guess what? We who are believers are called to the same life of love. That's what the Bible says. In fact, look what Jesus says in chapter 13. Turn in your Bibles, chapter 13. Chapter 13. Don't believe me. Look in Scripture, please. Chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. This chapter 13, verse 34. This new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How do you know if you love Jesus? It's not enough to be able to sing the song. You can't say, Oh, how I love Jesus. Or, you know, you, it's not enough to sing the song. You've got to prove it. How do you know if you love Jesus? Well, Jesus answers that in chapter 14. Turn over there, chapter 14, verse 15. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, you're going to treasure them. You're going to obey them. You're going to do everything that Jesus tells you to do. Now look at verse 21. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So, how do you know if you love Jesus? Certainly not by singing songs. <laughs> not by reading the Bible, saying your prayers, going to church. That, right? It's far more than that. Do you obey His commands? Do you do what He tells you to do? If you don't, my friends, you don't love Jesus. You don't love Jesus if you don't obey Him. So what have we seen so far? Let's wrap this up. What, what have we seen so far? According to John 20, verse 31. We've seen that Jesus is God, the eternal Son. He's the one who has actually come and He gives those of us who believe. What does He give us? He gives us life. How does that come to us? Life comes by His death. Remember what John writes here? He writes that these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Let's get personal for a moment here, if we haven't already. Okay? You looking at me? Look at me. Let me ask you a serious question. Do you believe? Do you believe? You 
believe. Well, if you're a non-Christian, okay, I'm fairly confident that there's some here, or at least someone's going to listen to this on the Internet. For a non-Christian, if you're listening to this message, well, guess what? i got good news for you. You've heard some bad news, but the good news is you still have an opportunity to believe. You still have an opportunity to believe. There is another opportunity given to you right now. In fact, John, the Apostle John here, has laid out all of these wonderful facts, and he has a goal in mind. And his goal is to convince you who Jesus really is. He wants you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. In fact, he is God. He is deity. He's not just a good man. He's not just a good teacher. He's far more than that. And so, my friend, listen closely. You must believe the God revealed in the Bible, not the one in your mind, if it's not the same. You've got to believe this truth in order for you to be saved from the coming judgment. Judgment is coming. One day, everyone will stand before the judge. And he knows everything you've done, everything you've said, everything you've thought. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And you will be judged for all of that. Judgment day is coming. And if you stand there on your own without Christ, you have no hope. My Christian friend, John's also laid out these facts for you as well. John has laid out the facts about Jesus so that you would not just believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah, you know, you know, oh, that's great. He wants you to believe that he is also Lord. And if he is, if he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic, then he is Lord and you must bow down in worship. You must serve him. You must totally present yourself to him, all body, mind, and soul to him. So if he's Lord, then as a result, he's worthy of our worship and our service to him. So let me ask you, what are you doing with Jesus today? Where's your heart? What are you doing with Jesus? If Jesus knows you, you need to know him. You need to serve him. And you need to do it wholeheartedly. The greatest command is to love God with all your entire soul, your mind, your strength, your being. Put everything into it, holding nothing back. Are you doing that? He deserves it. Because he's God. 